All right, we're going to hit it fast and furious this morning because I'm leaving a lot of running room for personal ministry, and I hope you'll all jump in the line and get more. Everybody say more. We've been talking about more. We've been talking about hosting the Holy Spirit now for about 13 weeks, and some of you are saying, Pastor, don't quit the series. More. I've already had you guys begging me. But I'm going to quit the series, not to quit on the Holy Spirit, but we're going to stop the series right here. This is kind of the grand finale, all right? Wave at me if you've been blessed by learning more and embracing the Holy Spirit more in your heart, more hunger for the Holy Spirit. Good. So today we're going to culminate this with a cry of our hearts that just says more. We're hungry for more. And I believe there's impartation that the Lord wants to do in your life. Open up your Bibles this morning real quickly to uh, John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26 how many know it's the Holy Spirit's job to teach us and to help us to love Jesus more? In John 15, 26, it says, I will send you, Jesus speaking, we have the whole Trinity, by the way, involved here in John 15, 26. Jesus says, I will send you the advocate, also known as the comforter, the encourager, the counselor. How many of you can use a comforter, encourager, a counselor in your life? Anybody? All right, we're talking to the right crowd. Well, that's who we want operative in our hearts is the Holy Spirit. Notice also he's the spirit of truth, so he's going to lead us into truth. He's going to help us build our lives on what is true. He will come to you. Notice here's the Father involved. Now we've got Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit all involved in this verse. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent from the Father, and look at what the Holy Spirit's going to do when we receive him into our lives. He's going to testify all about me. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's always talking about Jesus. And I shared this in an earlier context, but it bears repeating. Some people will say, well, your church is a Holy Spirit church. Our church is centered on Jesus, as if there's a distinction. How many of you know, wherever there's the Holy Spirit church, you will have a Jesus-centered church. Because the Holy Spirit is always pointing you to Jesus. So you cannot do what many Christians do and try to create some type of dichotomy or or. Uh, or division between the Godhead, as if, as if the Holy Spirit's operating against Jesus. That's not how it works. In fact, I'm telling you, the more the Holy Spirit you get, the more in love with Jesus you'll be. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to experience the love of the Father being exploded in your heart, you have to know the Holy Spirit. In fact, He's the expert guide, comforter, encourager, counselor, who talks about Jesus all the time. What happened in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit baptized the church with power. What did they do from that point on? They testified of Jesus everywhere they went. Even persecution, they kept going. Uh, Even opposition, they kept going. Even imprisonment, they kept going. Even after they were beaten, they kept going. Their love for Jesus was so profound, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit who baptized each one. So how many of you know if you want to burn with a passion for Jesus, you cannot experience that apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? How many of you want more of the Holy Spirit? I'm just trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to take the, the mystery, the weird, the, the guardedness. We should not be guarded against the Holy Spirit. We should be wide open as much of the Holy Spirit as we can possibly get. Amen? There should not be any resistance, although some of you have been raised in church cultures where you were taught that the Holy Spirit and his ministry was not for today. Look at Paul's message. After Paul was radically encountered by the Holy Spirit, he said in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ 
In Galatians chapter 2, he said, I no longer live, Christ lives in me. How many know Paul was dominant? He was a, he was a Holy Spirit-possessed man who lived for the glory of Jesus Christ, and that's the way each one of us should be. I'm just adding a couple little points to lead up to the main point. Here's the second point I want to drive home. Turn to, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If we believe that the Holy Spirit is moving and he's drawing people to Christ, then we want a church that is full of people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, let me just put a comma right there. Most of our training for people in ministry is all about teaching them to come with lofty speech and wisdom. In other words, most of the classes that preacher types go through in college deal with things like homiletics, how to preach a good sermon, hermeneutics, how to properly understand the text, elocution, how we pause at certain times for effect. Now, how many of you know it's great to be able to be a good public speaker, but the pulpit is not about public speaking only. And it's great to understand words because words have meaning and our faith is built on clear doctrine and truth and we can't ignore the words, but you can focus so much on words and far as putting together words and far as making the pulpit the center of what happens that you forget that there's no demonstration of the gospel in your midst. You just talk about it. Talk, 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 but zero demonstration. So I want you to, I'm going to pop a bubble here this morning. I'll bet if we said the Apostle Paul's coming to church next week, everybody wouldn't flock here because they were excited to hear his incredible pulpit presentation. I'm going to prove it. Paul Paul, Paul does everything wrong as far as a, a preacher. Look at what he does. He said, I didn't come to you with fancy speech, lofty speech, or wisdom. He said, I decided to know nothing. Most pastors try to wow their people over with how much information they can wow them with, new information that they never heard, fresh revelation. Paul said, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yes. Wow. He said, I didn't come to you in boldness as a great man of God. I actually came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He said, my speech and my message were not and the plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith is not going to rest in the wisdom of your pastor or of men, but in the power of God. Now, how many of you know, we don't just, we don't just proclaim the gospel, we have to demonstrate the gospel. In other words, that's why the, the Lord was just speaking to me this morning about how good it was that we made more room to let the Holy Spirit touch people. Now, can I just share something with you? When you go through a line and people are just praying blessing over your life, more, more Holy Spirit, more Holy Spirit, you want to be like a copper wire and not like a stone. Because how many of you know a copper wire conducts electricity better than a stone? So you can be a stone and have a thousand hands laid on you and really receive very little impartation. Or you can come like a copper wire Say, Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. With a heart wide open, and you'll be a conduit of the presence of God. How many know the latter is the way we want to live? So can I just ask you all honestly, how many of you love Jesus? How many of you think we should tell the world the good news of the gospel? And how many of you think we should demonstrate the power of the gospel? And how many think we got some room to grow? See, that's a good sign, because that means we're humble. None of us have arrived. 
We're not raising up spiritual Christian smarty pants. Whoever knows the most Bible verses and knows the most Bible trivia wins. That's not the way the gospel's played out. It's not about being a smarty pants. It's about being desperate and hungry for more of God. You with me? So I'm just speaking as your pastor. I want to do a better job of experiencing more of the Holy Spirit so I can release more of the Holy Spirit from my life. I mean, you know, if, I, if that is true in my life, that's good news for you. You want, a, you want a pastor who's a copper wire, not a stone. Because a copper wire can release a lot more. So here's what I'm, I'm saying. Lord, up my voltage, all right? I need, I, mean, I need more amps right here. I'm on 110. I'd like to advance to 220. Anybody with me? And, uh, and even go, let's go from there. Because the power of the gospel is not limited. And so we all, this is not like a badge of maturity or something, but we're all wanting to experience more of the presence of God, not only in us, but working through us for the benefit of other people. Does that make sense? You all with me? Everybody's in agreement so far. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm leading you along, all right? I'm taking you somewhere. So we want to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. Now, there's a funny portion in Scripture. You know, the Apostle Paul was long-winded. He had more closings than I had uh, or have ever had because in Acts it says he was preaching. He knew he had to leave the next morning, so he was really packing it all in. They started at dinner time. They went to about midnight, and then one of the young men who was listening to Paul preach fell asleep. Now, I just want to ask you this question. How many of you think the Apostle Paul ever had anybody fall asleep while he was preaching his message? I mean, are you kidding me? This is the Apostle Paul. But it wasn't the perfect pulpit style. I mean, he was sharing as a father to them. He was downloading his heart to them. Uh, and, and, and he was probably laying some track for them to follow. He was lovingly encouraging them. And Eutychus fell out the window from three stories up. And Luke, who's a doctor, tells us when he hit the ground, three stories, dead. dead. I mean, you know, doctors know how to check those things out. Eutychus is dead. But Paul runs down there. Paul takes him in his arms, and Paul says, he's alive. Now, let me just ask you a question. At that moment, would you want the fanciest pulpiteer preaching, running down to raise the dead guy, or would you take Paul, who put the guy to sleep in the first place, but carried enough of the Holy Ghost to raise the brother from the dead? I'll take Paul any day, all right? I'll take Paul over Apollos in that situation. Apollos might not have put Eutychus to sleep. Paul did. But when the guy died, Paul had enough of the Holy Ghost to raise this guy from the dead. I want to be that guy. You hear what I'm saying? I want to move in that kind of authority with that kind of presence of God. Uh, and, and you should too. You know, it's interesting. Heidi Baker tells a story about some of her pastors over in Mozambique. She said a couple of them could not make the Bible school. They could not pass the Bible school because they couldn't read. But she said it's no problem because several of them have raised multiple people from the dead in the name of Jesus. So how many of you know, ah, if you maybe couldn't read, but you raise these people from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's not such a bad trade-off, all right? Now, hopefully they'll learn how to read eventually, but you get the point. If you have to, if you have to, 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 to fall on one side or the other, let's go after the presence and power of God and be a people of his presence, amen? So check this out. I'm skipping ahead here. Paul talked about a more excellent way, and I, I want to highlight this. I think it's a fitting ending to our series. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what do those two chapters deal with? Spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, gifts. 
How many of you know gifts are important because gifts are power tools? If our job is to set people free, let me put it this way. If your job is to build a house, do you want an old wood saw and a hammer? Or would you like a power nailer and a power saw? Which is going to be more effective for you? The power tools. If we're trying to set people free and we're trying to, to, to minister in the power of the gospel, why would we use tools that are of our own making or our, our own natural ability when we can use supernatural power tools given to us by the Holy Spirit? So this is why, listen, this is why Paul said, pursue spiritual gifts. Some of you say, well, you know, they're passive aggressive. If the Lord wants to bless me with gifts, then he'll just have to do it because, you know, if he wants to, I'll leave it up to him. You will be running around with a hammer in your hand for the rest of your life. Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pursue, chase after spiritual gifts. You're not being greedy to pray for the manifestation of the Spirit's power in your life because the reason he gives you the gifts is for the body. It's for people. So I mean, you know, you should be hungry and in pursuit and aggressively pursuing spiritual gifts. But Paul said, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, because he knows our tendency to make it about us. How many of you know, if I pray for somebody and God heals them, I have the tendency, the temptation to start my world healing ministry. I mean, I've already got the cards made up in my pocket. I'm ready to hand out, hey, uh, here's my new website, you know, or, or I've seen people, they pray for somebody and God delivers somebody of a demonic spirit in a powerful way. And now they wear the title Demon Slayer. You know, they're, they're, they're going to be in charge of the deliverance ministry of the church. Can I just tell you something? Every believer in this place, every one of you, turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you, just to make sure, hey, he's talking to you. Every believer in this place is called to pray for the sick and heal the sick and cast demonic spirits out of people's lives. There's no room for a badge of honor like, hey, I'm in charge of the deliverance. No, you're just a, you're a New Testament believer who's full of the Holy Spirit. That's the way we roll. Or you see people moving in the prophetic and they're like, man, they're, they're like Simon the sorcerer. How much do I have to pay to get that gift right there? That's amazing to be able to encourage people like that and share things about that and the power of the Holy Spirit. How much do I have to pay to get that gift? You don't pay for these things. They're too priceless. You, you receive them through pursuit and hunger and desperation for God and because you love people. So check this out. Picture a ship filled with spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give us, but the ship's going to be in dry dock unless there is a river to carry the boat. What is the river to carry the boat? It's the love of God. Now, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You don't, it's not like God says, oh, I'm going to take away that gift from you because you're not perfect. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. In fact, you can still be living in sin and still have a gift operating in your life. Not forever, but you can still do that uh, because there's two separate things. But I'll tell you this, people who are full of the love of the, of the Father and love for people are beautiful carriers of the gifts of God, which are called, uh, it, uh, John Wimber called them gracelets. It's like a bracelet, only a gracelet. It's, it's grace of God that's released like a beautiful jewel on our, about our necks where we operate to set people free. But it's not about us, is it? It's really about people. And so Paul puts this 1 Corinthians 13 right there in between 12 and 14, right between the gifts, to just remind us that the most excellent way, he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, most excellent way 
is this. He said, earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Everybody say best of all. This is the best way of all. Uh, he says, let, uh, the Living Translation says, let love be your greatest aim. So look at what Paul prays here. Turn to Ephesians chapter three, and I'm going to uh, hit this and then share a couple testimonies, and then we're gonna start praying, all right? Look at the prayer of Apostle Paul in Ephesians three eighteen and 19. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. How many of you think that's a great prayer? That we would be absolutely wrecked with the overwhelming encounter with the love of God that would transform us at the deepest place of our heart. Look at verse 19. May you, what does it say? Experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Can I just tell you something? If you have to understand God or a move of God before you embrace what God's doing, you're gonna miss out on a lot because God is bigger than your understanding of him. I need to say this again. Sometimes people are like, you know, I'm just not sure. This is what I love about our church. I'm just not sure the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Well, then we have some of our prophetic people come in and then they pray over you. And then they read your mail, and they've never met you in, your, in their life. And then you go, wow. Louder. Louder. How, how did that person know that about me? Well, they don't know anything about you. They've never met you. It's because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, and the Holy Spirit knows everything about you. Amen. And because God loves you so much, he's trying to encourage you through someone who doesn't know you from Adam. And so when God reads your mail through a servant who's full of the Holy Spirit, but your church never taught you that before, then all of a sudden you're not fighting it. You're going, wow, I need to learn more about that. Because that was awesome. It's the same thing with the love of God. I remember Cheon telling a story about an Asian guy who was raised in family worship. And, and so she said, he said, could I pray for you? And, uh, and she said, well, no, I, my, uh, I'm not really of this religion. And, uh, and he found out where she was coming from, Asian background, and some of her uh, false beliefs about God and all that. But because of her honor of her family, she could not receive Jesus because they, honor, they family worship, they honor your ancestors. So I love this. So Cheon just said, well, do you mind if I just lay hands on you and ask Jesus to touch you and to reveal himself to you. In other words, I'm not gonna give you an argument for why you need to believe. I'm just going to let him touch you personally. And she said, oh, that would be fine. (laughs) He touched her and the power of God hit her and she went down and while she was on the ground, she started weeping and then she started laughing uncontrollably and he knelt down next to her and he said, would you like me to pray with you to receive Jesus now? And she said, absolutely. Because Jesus has a way of convincing us of how beautiful he is and how real he is. And can I just tell you, it says God wants us to experience, that means to taste for yourself, a love that you'll never be able to understand fully because it's infinite. This is what I love about the way the Holy Spirit touches different people. 
Some folks are coming through and we're praying and just getting a blessing. Other people, at the, as they go through, they get marinated by the Holy Spirit. By the time they reach me midway, the tears are flowing. Some people are getting set free. Some people are just being loved as we embrace and we pray and we just bless. But here's what's happening. They're experiencing the presence of Jesus. And can I just tell you something? When you experience the presence of Jesus, there's no going back. You're forever ruined. And I want a church of ruined people. I want everybody in this church wasted on the love of God. All right? Look at what it says next. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Do you see this connection? Until you experience the love of the Father, the supernatural love of God, you'll never be able to move in the dimensions, it says here, of life and power. Because it's the love of God that awakens our heart and it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that shows us how to live life and equips us with the power of God to touch other people. And can I just tell you this? Anybody in this room know what I'm talking about? There's nothing greater in your whole existence. You can climb the corporate ladder. You can make a gazillion dollars. You can have your face plastered in every magazine across the world. You can, you can pursue all those things. None of it matters in comparison to God working through you to touch one person and see them experience the presence of God. A church that's convinced and committed to doing that is a church that's unstoppable. And so we're we're gonna pray Ephesians 3 over us today. It's an apostolic prayer. It's in the Bible. It's anointed. It is inspired. It is the word of the Lord. It is coming out of the Apostle Paul. It's God's will for our lives. I'm going to give you two stories from, from history, and then we're going to pray. I, and the reason I'm doing this, remember I shared a few weeks ago, when you testify to God's goodness, you release the word of the Lord, and you're giving God glory for something that he did. And listen, When you give him glory for what he did, faith arises in your heart because you go, if God did it for that person, he can do it for me. When I read these, these are about real people. When you hear the testimony, Jason, when you hear the testimony, say, God can do that for me. And why could he not do it now? This is D.L. Moody. Anybody hear of D.L. Moody? I'm being funny with you. We got a school right up the street here. Dwight L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists that we, we have in human history. We don't talk about this at Moody Bible Institute any longer. We put this in the mothballs of the closet. But I'm going to give you an account that changed D.L. Moody's whole life and ministry. Listen. He says, I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. How many of you know God likes people that pursue him? Everywhere you go, Lord, I need more. Come, Holy Spirit. I wrote the little phrase on a white sticky note on my computer. Come, Holy Spirit. Every, every day when I sit down on my computer, I look at that sticky note and I say, come, Holy Spirit. When my eyes open in the morning, the first thing I say is, come, Holy Spirit. When I go for a walk, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit. I am being obsessed with more of the Holy Spirit because I find that when people are obsessed with the Holy Spirit, they have a lot of fruit in their lives. D.O. Moody, all the time crying out that God would fill me with the Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. 
I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience for me to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again, but the sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would now be placed back where I was before that blessed, he said, I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be as the small dust of the balance. Notice, he's preaching the same good news, but it's having a greater effect because he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There was something coming off of his life that was producing fruit in people's lives. Let me share this account of D.L. Moody. I'm sorry, not D.L. Moody, uh, Charles Finney, another great evangelist, second great awakening. As I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body, and soul. He said, I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Listen to this. It seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. Imagine you grab a hold of 220, only it's God, and the 220 coursing through your veins is the love of God that is almost so overwhelming you can hardly stand it. But it's a good hardly stand it, not a painful experience, but such joy and such incredible touch from God that your body can hardly take it. Listen to what he says. I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan, fan me like immense wings. He said, no words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more. He said, yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and to go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening, and when a member of my choir came into the office to see me, he found me in this state of loud weeping, and he said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make him no answer for some time, and then said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best as I could and replied, no, but so happy that I cannot live. Can you imagine being overwhelmed with the love of God and so happy that she didn't feel like you could live any longer in that state. Now, what he had was a foretaste of heaven. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings us, is a foretaste of heaven. Not just heaven's realities in terms of the love of the Father, but heaven's fruit. Heaven's fruit. I want our worship band to make their way back up on the stage. Now, here's, here's my point. I just read you two accounts of household names. Almost everybody in Christendom has heard of D.L. Moody and Charles Finney. 
We all know of their exploits, amen? And they both said that the reason they were so fruitful is because of their experience with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 